squeaking this morning. I kept going, I hope that's not me. Because <laughs> I kept punching that. It sounded like a, my hearing aid sometimes when they're squeaky. and um, So I thought it was maybe me. And speaking of other things, since there's all these baby announcements, uh, on Thanksgiving Day, my wife and I found out that we're going to be great-grandparents. And so um, that's coming in May. Of course, my oldest boy, who's going to be a grandpa, who had the grandpa shirt on, which I didn't notice at the table. But anyway, another story for another day. (laughs) He was wearing that um, in May. And his first thought is, boy, I hope it's on the 4th, so the 4th will be with you. (laughs) May the 4th be with you. Anyway, there's a bad joke. Moving right along, um, we're going to begin tonight um, in the in the book of Daniel um, maybe sounds like an odd spot to start we're going to be in first Corinthians chapter 8 but I think a, I think a real good just an example of what Paul is going to talk to the church at Corinth about and I think it really applies to us a lot today is an example here in Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel chapter 1, I think you probably know the story, I'm sure you probably do, where the choice young men were taken into captivity um, by the Chaldeans, and the king appointed for them, it says in verse 5 of chapter 1 of Daniel, the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. And then Daniel was one of those men, those young choice men that were going to be fed and educated, basically get smart and fattened up and be strong and healthy and all of those things. And he was, they were given a king's portion. Well, from their Jewish history, we knew that some of those things that they were given, they didn't want to eat. And Daniel was one of those who did not want to eat those things. And it says in verse 8, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. His conscience said, God would not have me do this. God would not be pleased if I do this. But I think there's something very interesting. If you read between the lines here, says that he had made up his mind not to defile himself. And I think in the middle of this, I see Daniel going to the Lord and saying, God, help me here. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to figure out how to do the right thing and to be pleasing to you and to not alienate myself with my captors. And in the very next line... It says, so he sought permission. He didn't demand it. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't say, I won't, I'll just starve to death. It says that he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile him. And again, if you read between the lines, God answered his prayer. And it says, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. You see, he was worried if he didn't look so well-fed and look kind of gaunt, that he being in charge might lose his head over this. And I think Daniel kind of knew that. And so how can I, Daniel may have said to himself, both honor God 
and honor my captor. Wow, that's unusual, isn't it? That someone would do that. Why would he do that? Well, I think because the title of our message tonight, and we go to the New Testament, of course, Daniel didn't you know, know about Christ. Christ hadn't come yet. But the title of our message tonight is Freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. And I think we could look at Daniel and say, he was free in God to make that choice. And that freedom in, in Christ that we enjoy today, that liberty we enjoy today, I want to submit to you tonight that that isn't just that we can do what we want to do. That freedom that we have in Christ is because we have been changed, we have been given a new nature, and that freedom we have in Christ is we are free to choose what is honoring and glorifying to God and to those that are over us and honor them while we honor God. That's our freedom. We no longer say, what about me? What about my rights? And Paul has already talked to the people in Corinth and the church here about not going to court with others about uh, being in unity with one another, of their freedom in Christ. They are free to choose, but their choices should what? Honor God. And so we're going to look at three things tonight in this, this freedom we have in Christ. And our theme of our message is free to love freely. Free to love freely. And um, proposition that I kind of looked at this past couple weeks is loving our brothers and sisters in Christ is more important than enjoying the rights that I think I have. Loving my brothers and sisters in Christ is more important than enjoying the rights that I, that I have. And so we're going to look at those things today, three points. We're going to look at knowledge minus love and what that equals, love plus knowledge and what that equals, and knowledge of the holy, or knowledge of God and understanding of who he is. So let's turn to our text, uh, now that we've kind of got that introduction out of the way, and let's turn to... 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read this, uh, 13 verses here in chapter 8. And really this section, Paul's going to deal with this in chapters 8, 9, and 10, uh, the use of liberties, the use of our freedom in Christ, and to avoid mistakes in that. And so we're going to kind of begin here, and I think he starts with an interesting just thought line, and then he's going to get into that freedom, but he's going to continue to talk about this um, through these next three chapters. Chapter 8, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians. Take care with your liberty is the title of this in my Bible. Now concerning things sacrificed to idols. And I'll just say as we begin here, he's saying now concerning things sacrificed to idols. He's probably still answering some questions that were written here in uh, chapter 7, verse 1. He says, now concerning the things about which you wrote. And we talked about marriage and celibacy and, and being remarried and divorce and all of those things he's talked about here in chapter 7. But probably one of the questions that they wrote to Paul was about these things, about meat sacrificed to idols. And one of the, before we go on any farther, maybe another little explanation. Okay, in their culture, and they came, many of these people came out of idol worship and trusted Christ as their savior. But, you know, old habits sometimes are hard to break. And old ways of living, some understanding needs to happen. And there's new things in their hearts. And understanding what's right, what's wrong, 
what pleases the Lord. In other words, to grow up in their faith and to be sanctified. It takes a little time sometimes, but old habits can be fall, fall, you can fall back into those. So, out of this idol worship and the temple and all the things that were going on there, meat was sacrificed to them, to the idols. And the meat ended up in one of three places. It either ended up with the priest there at the idol worship the temple using some of that meat, but what he couldn't use went to the local market. And sometimes the local person that would be at the idol temple and offer meat for a sacrifice would take a portion of that. There would be a portion sacrifice. There would be a portion to the, the priest that was in the idol temple. And then that person would take some home with him. So he may have some folks over for supper. And lo and behold, there's some meat at the table. There's some meat in the market. There's some meat that the, the priest has. And there's some meat that was sacrificed. So you might just in everyday life run into a question What do we do? What do we do? Now, concerning the things sacrificed to idols, whether it's in somebody's home or whether it's in the market, he's saying, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. And that word arrogant means puffed up or prideful, thinking highly of oneself. I think of the word, yeah, look at all my knowledge, uh, kind of a blowhard because it's puffed up. Uh, type of thing. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world, and there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, As indeed, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, and the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to to stumble. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for um, these reminders throughout your word of how to live, how to live this new life that you have called us to, how to live it pleasing to you. And not only just pleasing to you, Lord, but there are people around us that matter, especially those within the church, our brothers and sisters in Christ who 
who we want to help along the journey home to heaven and not hinder or not cause to be a, a, a roadblock for them or a, a struggle for them. Um, and there are those in the world who do not know you. And Lord, we, we want to make decisions with how we live that would give us an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel and to not, not to judge or not to, not to condemn, but to offer grace and mercy that you offered to us. And so, Lord, help us as we study these things uh, tonight um, to grow our faith, to grow our understanding, to build up um, our faith is how we live according to what you've called us to be in Christ. So we give you the praise tonight for your word and for the time we can spend together in it. Um, thank you for this uh, time together in each one that's here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Knowledge, first point, knowledge minus love equals destruction or ruining. So we want to begin here in verse 8. It says, now concerning these things, sacrifice to idols. We've already talked about what that entails and why, because of the questions that they probably wrote in the beginning of chapter 7, he's answering some of these questions for them. Now concerning things, sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. We all understand things. We all have knowledge of who God is, especially within the church. They've come to understand the gospel and who God is and what they believe. They have that knowledge. But just to have knowledge, he's going to talk more about this, just to know facts, just to know facts and to know about God is not to know God. There's a difference in that. Just knowing facts. There are many people who acknowledge God. There is a God in heaven. There is a God and creator. And boy, he's good and I'm going to work hard to please him. But that's not true knowledge. The knowledge that he's going to talk about of God is we have this knowledge and, and it embraces and receives the knowledge of God. And I would th- say specifically the knowledge of the gospel. That God has caused them to understand Let them hear that message. The Holy Spirit has taken God's word and implanted it in their hearts and new life has sprung from that. They have this knowledge of the gospel. They have received it. They have embraced it. We have that knowledge. But just to have knowledge for knowledge's sake kind of puffs people up. Just to say, I can recite more verses than you. Or... I attend, I have more knowledge about theology than you. Just puffs up. It just builds up the individual. And that's not what that knowledge of knowing God is all about. Knowledge makes arrogant. But love, knowledge minus love destroys. It destroys both the one that is trying to tell somebody what they should know or what they, how much they know. And it destroys the person that they're trying to explain that to. And it says... Knowledge makes arrogant. And we've already explained what that word means in the Greek. To puff up, a pride, uh, prideful way of thinking. Thinking highly of self or blown up, vain, inflated, filled with wind. That's why I think it sounds like a blowhard kind of, th- kind of word, you know, a blowhard. Just, here, let me tell you about all of these things that I know. But love edifies. So, knowledge minus love is not... It really anything. In fact, Paul's going to talk about that later, that 
If I have all of these things, if I know all of these things and I understand all of these things, but I don't have love, what does he say? I have nothing. So knowledge minus love equals zero. Love edifies. Love builds up. And that word edifies means to build up, to encourage, to make stronger, add uh, to someone else's well-being. Love edifies. Love builds up. So that knowledge minus love is destruction or ruining, uh, built up. It's pride. And we know that the Lord is against pride. Verse 2, it says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. I read this this week, and I wrote it down in here somewhere. Uh, Knowledge is really ignorance. It does not know that it does not know. True knowledge knows that it doesn't know, and it knows it. So it's kind of, you see that it's kind of, he's using some words here that just kind of turn on themselves. He says, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he's puffed up over what his knowledge is and what his theology is and what, what just the amount of facts that he knows, he's not yet known as he ought to know. You know where true knowledge starts? It starts with God. Wisdom and knowledge start with God. And knowing him in a saving way is the beginning of knowledge and understanding. And it changes It changes our thinking, or it should, and I think it changes our thinking because it changes our heart first. And we have a new nature, and we have a new way of thinking, not only about me and myself as I look in the mirror, but about you as I look at you. And it's not about facts, it's about love that will build up not only me, but you. So if someone thinks that he has knowledge and thinks that he knows, He doesn't know as he should know. Let's turn to, just to clarify that a little bit, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. Um, 1 John chapter 4. And they were in verse 7. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. I love this church because you know when to start reading because when you hear the pages get quiet, you know that everybody's there with you. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. That knows God is what? That is that we are in an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe and we have been brought there by the blood of Christ. That love that God has poured into our hearts is a love that comes from God. Before that, you know who we love? We love us. We love me, myself, and I. And we want the best for me, myself, and I. But when God pours his love, his self-sacrificial love into our heart, we not only love God, but we love others. Because he's going to go on to say that, no, the one who does not love, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. His life is credited to us. In this love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the satisfying of the wrath of God against our sin. God loved us so much. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't have to. He chose to. 
And that love that God gives to us isn't something that we sought. It isn't something that we were looking for. It's something that was brought to us by the grace of God. And this love of God causes us to not only love him, but love others. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us this, his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world and to pour that love of God into us. So he says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. When love is known, when love is known and you receive that love of God, you know what God causes us to do? It's just embrace it. And we receive it. We didn't earn it. We understand the gospel and the love that God poured out by pouring his wrath upon his son on the cross for us. We simply embrace what we don't deserve that God so graciously gives, that love for God is embraced. And that's what, that's what faith is. That's when we understand the truth of the gospel. It's knowledge here, but it has to touch our hearts. And it has to be poured into our hearts by God's spirit. And we're brought back to life and a new life and a new way of living. It says, if anyone loves God, he is known by him. I just, I just want to say tonight, Knowing just facts for facts makes one proud, but knowing the facts about who Christ is and receiving that and embracing it and holding on to that, that is salvation. That is faith in God and understanding that and embracing the truths that God has caused us to, to understand, caused us to believe, caused us to, to want to hang on to for the rest of our lives. Therefore, Concerning the eating of things. Now he's going to get back after he's talked about that. Talked about, I think he's just kind of set them up for this love of God that's been given to them. And this love of God that's been poured into their hearts. And this love that is manifested in their lives, not only for God, but for others around them. So he's going to go on to talk about their liberties. But the, the foundation has been laid. The love of God and love for God and love for others. And how they receive that. He's known by God. Or has come to be known by God because God has called him to himself. Therefore, he gets back to this, the question. Therefore, or now concerning the eating of the things sacrificed to idols. And this is our second point. Love plus knowledge equals salvation. Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. There is no such thing as an idol. You know what Satan loves to do? Imitate God. And you know how he imitates God? If they worship something else besides the God of heaven, then they'll just be lost. And that's, that's his goal, that they would not see the truth of the one true God. This, and it also speaks here, there's no such thing as an idol. There is only one God. There is only one way. This this is exclusive truth. You'll hear all kinds of tales spun and lies told, but this is exclusive truth. 
And many people rail at that. How dare you tell me there's no other way? We hear that a lot in the world today, don't we? How dare you say that my way's not right? This is exclusive truth. And we, we're not, Paul said, I am not ashamed of this exclusive truth. I am not ashamed of the gospel. For in it is what? Power to save. And I would submit to you the love of God is the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of that. There's no such thing as an idol. There's only one God. There's one exclusive truth. There's one God in heaven, one creator of all things. One way to heaven, and that's Jesus. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, I think he just acknowledges that there are those things out there. There are many, there are many things that people worship then. There are many things that people worship today. And some, some people I've, I've seen, I used to carry out groceries a lot in the, in the grocery business. When I first started in the grocery business, I wore an apron and a bow tie and a white shirt every day and carried everybody's groceries out. You try to get somebody today to carry your groceries out, it's a task. But I did everybody's back then. And you know what you see on the dashboards? Little idols, little good luck charms, little statues that they have, that magnets on the, on the front dashboard. They're idols today. They were idols then. We're, we're, maybe we wear them around our necks or uh, a saint that'll protect us in so many things. There's all kinds of those. That are just they're idols. They're not, they're not the one true God. There's in many so-called idols. There are many so-called things in this world. Uh, don't follow them. There's the exclusive truth. There's one way. And this is, we have the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of God as our father. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. So important that we exist for what? God has created us and called us to himself for a purpose. And his word tells us the things that we should do. His will for our lives in obedience to the things that are written in this book. Love your enemies. Love those who hate you. Serve the Lord with a glad heart. Give joyously. All kinds of things. You want to know the will of God? Read the word of God. It's in here for us. And we exist not for ourselves, or not for our bank account or not for a retirement home. But we exist for him. To glorify him. To honor him with what? Not just the things that are in our wallet, with our very lives. You know what the most precious thing that you and I have to honor God with and to give him? Your time and your gifts. Those are precious commodities. I often say sometimes, you know, I get caught by a train headed home. I got caught today by a train going home. And I know Toby was waiting at home for his lunch. And I sat there for five minutes. And you know what I kind of thought in my head? I'm never getting those five minutes back. They're gone. Time is a precious commodity. Give God all of your time and all of your energy. We exist what? For him. For him. Not for ourselves, but for him. Knowledge puffs up. Uh, love edifies. Love brings salvation. Love and the knowledge of God brings salvation. True knowledge, true wisdom starts with him because we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus, I think it's, here's the deity of Christ. 
and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. Do you ever think about that? What would I be without Jesus? One word, lost and down a pathway to destruction. We exist through him. How do we exist through him? Well, he came from heaven to earth and he lived a sinless life. And he died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And when we trust in him, we receive all that he is. We exist through him. Not any effort that we've done, not any good deeds that we've done, not any way other than through him. We exist and we exist for him. He's the creator of all things. There are many idols, many things that people worship, many gods. But there's only one true God, one father in heaven. And we exist For him and one Lord, and we exist through him. However, not all men have this knowledge, but some, being accustomed to the idol until now, eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat it, nor the better if we do eat it. We are, we are, food, and Jesus talked about what goes into your stomach doesn't defile a man. What defiles a man? What comes out of his heart. And so food taken thankfully can all be enjoyed. Can giving thanks to God for those things. But some are not accustomed to this. And so there's some sanctification. There's some growing up. There's some studying to do and understanding to do. And to ask them to eat that, and maybe they feel like they shouldn't, but they have others. I mean, I've eaten this and now I've sinned. And so their conscience is defiled. I would submit to you, a conscience defiled is a faith defiled or tainted or whatever you want to call that. And so don't ever go against conscience or cause someone else to go against their conscience. If they're trying to follow the Lord and the Lord has convicted them to do that, Daniel said what? He had had settled in his heart or in his conscience that he would not eat that meat or drink that wine. But he didn't throw a fit about it. He sought permission, didn't he? Sought a solution. You know what I think he sought first? He sought God's counsel. He sought God's counsel. What would be honoring to you, God? What would be pleasing? How should I handle this? There are many black and white areas in life. These things in the black are taboo. We don't do these things. These things are white and we, it's okay to do those things. But there's a lot of gray things in life. Gray areas that scripture doesn't specifically say black or white. A legalist to a legalist, everything's black pretty much. To someone says, I'm totally free. Everything's white. There's no gray. But there are gray areas. So how do we handle those gray areas? The things are not specifically told to us in Scripture. This is one of those things. Should I eat this or not? What should I do? They're not accustomed. They feel like I've sinned. I've eaten sacrificial meat that was offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. But food will not commend us to God. He says this. We're neither worse or better off if we eat or we don't eat. But he says in verse 9, and this is the knowledge knowledge of God and, and understanding what God's liberty to us in Christ and the love that's been poured into our hearts. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge dining at an idol's temple will not his conscience if he is weak 
be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols. Um, I just put behind that, always edify. Edify with love. Always edify. Don't cause a stumbling block. Don't look at what we're doing and think about what we're doing and think about the people around us and what they see us doing. Um, I was reading this week in one of the commentaries, you know, years ago, the early church, there was all kinds of taboos. You, you didn't dance, you, you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't play cards. I think my wife was talking about that a while back in their church when it first started in Butler. You know, playing cards were, you know, they did at their house. Let me just tell you this. They did at, this house, at their house, but they kept them in a drawer and only brought them out at certain times when family was around. They played with cards. Oh, my goodness. A gray area. Does it say anything in Scripture about that? No. But if it offended somebody, they didn't do it in front of people. They played some cards, but they wouldn't do that when it would offend somebody. Those kind of gray areas. Eating this sacrificed meat in front of someone else, if it defiles them or it, it goes against their conscience, if he's weak and he's strengthened, he sees you eating, he says, don't do that. For, though you, for through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose Christ, whose sake Christ died. Think of who they are. He's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one thing that I, I love about this church and the people in this church. They genuinely care about one another. And I know that you do. I know you pray for, and many people say that they pray for me and uh, pray for uh, Pastor Bill. And we, we pray for you. And we are in unity together around the word of God and that caring for one another within the body of Christ, that unity that should be that part. Um, today, Helen's gone. She's gone for a couple days. And, you know, I had about three kids today come up to me and ask me, where's Miss Helen? They didn't say, how are you? They said, where's Miss Helen? I said, well, she'll be back. She'll be back. They care about one another. Even the kids, our kids are being trained to care and to love others around them. And they should be. That's edifying them in love. To grow in that grace and that knowledge of God. For through your knowledge, if he is weak, is ruined. Your brother, for whose sake Christ died, you've sinned, not only sinned against him, but he's also going to say, and so by sinning against that brother and wounding their conscience when he is weak, you sin against Christ. And we don't want to do that, do we? God has saved us from sin. We are free in Christ. You know what we're free in, to do? We're free to say no to sin. We didn't have that power before, but the Holy Spirit convicts us in our conscience and says, this is not right. And we can then say, I choose to not sin. We didn't have that power before, but the power that lives within us gives us that choice, that freedom in Christ to say no to sin, to say, no, I'll not do that. When we sin against a brother, we sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, he says here at the end, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again. Vegetarian, right there. There it is. To be a vegetarian, you just have to be in a community that thinks meat's taboo. But he said, I will never eat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. In application, just quickly... My time has gone so quick tonight. In application, yeah, we could go to Philippians chapter 2 where it says that think not only of yourself, but also think of the interest of others. 
So we think of God first, we love Him, we love others, and I'm last. Uh, because we're in Christ, we've been brought to this new life in Him, a new way of living. Three things, just three rules to live, even in, in the gray areas or whatever we're making a decision, three rules to live everyday life by. And a question we want to start there, I kind of have a proposition for the application. Will my love for God be manifested in my decisions in life? Will my love for God, because it says what? If anyone loves God, he is known by God. If my love, does my love for God, is it manifested in my decisions in life? One, number one, will this thing, if I do it, honor and please God? Will this thing, if I do it, honor and please God? Lord, will you receive glory if I decide to do this thing? Number one, will I please and honor you? And will this bring you glory in my life, with my life, in my decision that I'm about to do? Will this thing, if I do it, encourage and lift up and help others follow you more closely? If I do this thing, will others be encouraged to follow you more closely or will they be what? encouraged to defile their conscience and sin. So we need to think about others that are around us and the things that we do. Our actions matter. How we live our lives, the things that we're involved in, they matter. And if I do this thing, will it encourage and lift up? What did he say in the beginning here? But love edifies, love builds up. Will this show God's love that's been given to me to others? Number three, will this thing, if I do it, sanctify and grow me in my walk with my Savior? Will it glorify God? Will it edify others? Will it help to grow me and sanctify me in my faith and my walk with God? Three good rules in gray areas to decide, should I or shouldn't I? And you know, I know there's some voice here tonight. And I know, I, I think this is apropos for you guys tonight especially for young people. There's a lot of decisions in, in the school system and in our education system to make. It's good rules to follow. And tempted to do all kinds of things. Will this, will this glorify God? Will this help others? Will this help me in my walk with God? Um, a lot of choices to be made, not only for young people, but for adults, for each of us every day. Um, good rules to live by. Good things to consider. And we first consider those around us, those sitting beside us, those that are near us. Um, how can I help them to grow in their faith? How can I help them to know the God that I love and bring them to saving faith and explain who God is to them? Um, and I would just say to, because um, I've run into this in situations that as a, as a leader in another church, um, don't ever burn a bridge to the gospel. Don't ever burn a bridge to the gospel with somebody. Just keep that bridge crossable and open. Okay? Father, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for um, your word. Thank you for these reminders of uh, the things in life that aren't so clear, but we have guidelines from your word. We love you. 
That changes everything because you first loved us and you have brought us into this relationship with you, the one true God. Uh, and we, we love you and we want to honor you. We want to help our brothers and sisters and we want to help those that don't know you to know you. And Lord, we want to grow in our own faith. We want to make decisions that are healthy for our spiritual life, growing in our walk with you, closer with you every day than we were the day before. We just ask for your help, ask for your uh, grace and mercy to guide and direct us in all the decisions we make in life each day. And we'll give you the praise for that. We want to honor you with our lives in the time we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.